What's up everyone? It's Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. Thank goodness it's time for another Self-Improvement Sit-Down. This is when we dive deeper into topics that matter within our own personal development. I have the honor of bringing on industry-leading experts who so graciously share their wisdom and help us to live more well-rounded lives. As you probably know, the typical format of the podcast is a quick two-minute personal development tip or tidbit that does a really good job at introducing new concepts and perspectives. Rest assured, the daily tips will keep on coming and you'll hear one tomorrow. But for now, let's pull back the layers and learn something new and in great detail. I can't wait for you to hear it. Self-improvement sit-down number 14 with Gina B. And we are live. And this time, we're actually live. Today, I'm sitting down with a voice that you might already recognize from the podcast, Gina B. Gina is a registered dietitian. She earned her master's in nutrition and currently practices functional nutrition at the very exclusive Calavi Spa. But what I love about Gina and her work is that she's really practical when it comes to giving dietary advice. Gina is the author of the book, Mastering Mindfulness, and has built out a mastering mindfulness program to help teach people how to break through their self-sabotaging behaviors and accomplish their goals. First and foremost, Gina, thank you for hosting me at your place and for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, I'm so glad to be on. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time now, so it's so good to be one of your guests. And we always talk about wanting to dig into nutrition stuff and topics, so I'm so glad to dive into some new things with you. That's exactly it. I've been waiting for this moment for so long because <laughs> you've been holding out on me, and you can't hold out any longer. I'm super excited. I'm in for nerding out on nutrition anytime. Perfect. Well, I think my first question just comes from even the root of the word dieting. I mean, there is just kind of this this stigma about the word diet and kind of the psychology around it. And I don't know, I'm sure you have a lot of experience kind of working through these stigmas that people have. Can you kind of just share a little bit about what a diet is and kind of the misconceptions people might have about it? Yeah, that is a really interesting question because it is so debated that so many people ask me, what is the best diet to follow? Is it a balanced, healthy diet? Is it like a keto diet, a vegetarian, a vegan diet? But then you also have the other side preaching of like, diets are bad. We need a lifestyle change that, you know, don't fall for this trick, for this, you know, that it's become such a bad thing. But then you also have the other people who are praising it and preaching it. And if you believe in a certain way of eating, it's almost become like a food religion or some people take it to the extreme of like a food cult. So. Mm. Where do you find that? Like, is it good? Is it bad? What does diet even mean? And I think from the negative perspective of diet, we've developed such a bad perspective of diet because people just approach a style of eating wrong. So they go into it with no idea what style of eating they should be following, but they know they want to make a change. So they haven't done like the foundational work first of why are they even wanting to change or what that's going to take. And so they jump right in and they start this new style of eating, but their old habits are still the same. And so they sabotage it and it only lasts for like three days, maybe a week, maybe a month. So if it's something that feels so restrictive, like you are on a roller coaster and you are counting down every single day that you've lasted, (laughs) that's probably, you know, the quote unquote diet, the one that you don't want to have. It's not going to last. But there are, there is a place for different styles of eating. You know, we have different genetics, we have different microbiomes, we have different lifestyles, different, you know, past medical history, health issues, all different things. We're such complex, unique creatures, how could we ever think it's a good idea to say everyone should eat the same? Right. Yeah. And it's just, you're already kind of getting to the heart of just habit formation in general. Why do we need to complicate diet as something that's any different? You know, it's like, you've got to have the right intentions and set yourself up for success from the very beginning. And that's kind of what some of these diets do is Maybe they put you in the deep end before you're ready to be there. And you're just like, okay, this is who I am now. And maybe you don't entirely believe it because it is that kind of extreme, dramatized version of what you're expected to do. And, you know, that's just not necessarily the right place to start. It is. I think most people, when they try a diet, they jump in just like 
head first and they're like, okay, I'm going for it. And then it feels so overwhelming because they're trying to get in control over their cravings and control over their food, buy new groceries, buy things that they've never even seen before, or cooked before. And it's, it's a lot. Plus you still have your regular life on top of that. So it, when you just dive right in, um, it's really easy to sabotage mm -hmm. the diet that you started in a couple of days. And some people find that it's not even working out well for them. They don't even like it but they're just hanging on because they want to complete the program, the 30 day, the six week, you know, they're enticed by this challenge or these promises of change, but it's not even a lifestyle that they want to have. But I do think that there's a place for these different diets. And I like to use the word style of eating. Mm. So for example, my mom decided to do a ketogenic diet about two years ago. And you know, if you're familiar with keto, it's very high fat, moderate protein, very low carb. So that some people are like, that's a fad diet and it gets bashed really bad. But for someone who can do it in a healthy way where they're eating healthy fats, for my mom, it was life changing. She was like, oh my gosh, I have control over my cravings. I easily lost weight. I love these foods. I love eating these healthy, high fat foods like salmon and olives and nuts. And it worked amazing for her. So how could I ever say that diet is bad because it's a diet? Right. But for somebody who is like, God, I miss carbs and I miss fruit and I miss, you know, potatoes and they're and they're so sad and they're hanging on by a thread every day, that's a diet that's mm -hmm. not gonna work out. So but I think that for different people, different styles of eating is great. Yeah. And you even referenced, you know, you said it's the healthy choice and it's like it needs to be a healthy diet. And I think that's such an important word when you think of a diet, is it's it's not necessarily the diet and the negative part of it. It is the healthy eating habits. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's kind of what I would like to hear next. It's just, I know that there's no one size fits all, but just general eating mm -hmm. healthy. You know, like what should we expect to provide our bodies with and nourish our bodies with? Because there is some fundamental yeah. kind of stuff that you should do. I mean, what, what are some of those healthy eating habits then? There are definitely the fundamentals. And then from there, it can be some finessing to see what works well with your body. Okay. So the closer that you can get to understanding how does your body respond to food, you'll be able to figure out your diet. But the fundamentals, I like to think of it, if you don't know where to start, think of your diet as like a spectrum. We're all starting at different places. So if you're going from, you're eating pizza every day and now you're on this diet that is full of fresh food and you're eating like all plants and you have to cook a lot, that might be pretty extreme. So think of it as finding where you're at on the spectrum and go from processed is, and then keep jumping down to real whole food. So for example, let's say you're eating, I don't know, let's say you're eating like a Pop-Tart for breakfast. I don't even know if people eat Pop-Tarts anymore. I used to. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I was eating Pop-Tarts, you know. So let's say you're starting off there. That's a pretty darn processed breakfast, right? Okay. okay, so now let's say a step up for you would be maybe like a protein bar. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're getting in some protein. It's one step up. You're getting into that healthier mindset, but you still might be having a lot of additives, artificial flavors, processed proteins. Mm -hmm. So maybe you want to upgrade one more step and get closer to real food and you're eating like... <laughs> real food. Uh, one way to real food. And you're eating a bar that's like dried fruit and nuts. Mm. You know what I mean? Like a, a bar that's closer to real food. Okay, you're one step closer. Now let's go, can you eat like a piece of fruit and nuts? Mm. So let's think of all of our diet as like a spectrum of can we get closer and closer to real whole food? And that's the goal. And then from there you can finesse and maybe adjust your macronutrients or adjust a style of eating. Um, and I always say you cannot go wrong with going for color. Mm. Color, yeah. The goal is aiming for five colors. Mm -hmm. Five, I know for most people it might sound ambitious, but when you look at your plate, it's the easiest way to just look down at your plate and say, can I get more color in here? Because the colors do different things. They're different benefits. Give us a few examples. Okay, a few examples. <laughs> so like the um, a lot of the red foods where like your beets and, and those red foods that dilate the blood vessels and get the blood flowing. So a lot of the reds are great for your heart. Hmm. The yellows and the oranges are great for your skin and your immune system. 
the blues and the purples lower inflammation, great for brain health. The green foods are great for your eyes, lots of lutein and uh, different compounds in there that are great for your eyes. So it's great if maybe you love broccoli and you're like, I eat chicken and broccoli every single day. That's amazing, that's great. You know, broccoli's so good for you but there's a ton of other amazing compounds in these different colors that you're missing out on if you're eating that one same color every single day. Hmm. So it's a super simple way anyone from a kindergartner to your oldest person <laughs> out there can look at their plate and say, how can I get some more color in here? I remember the first time you told me that. I got super <laughs> self-conscious <laughs> looking at my plates just being like, oh no, Gina wouldn't be happy I don't have enough color. <laughs> I can't tell you how many like texts or Instagram pictures I got sent after like, Doing a speaking session and saying that and the people would send me a picture and they're holding skittles i'm like ah ha 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 like i've seen that one before you know <laughs> awesome no I, I do want to back up so we're talking about the spectrum of eating and i think that's something that needs to be picked into a little bit more and kind of the two ends from my understanding of the spectrum are it's very processed or it's completely organic and you need mm -hmm. to kind of find where you belong in that kind of mix so i guess could you speak to each sides of those and I mean, obviously, you know, process isn't good and maybe there are benefits, maybe not, but just kind of what are the real issues inherent to processed foods and what are the real benefits of organic and kind of, I don't know, sell yeah. us on the right kind of layer for, you know, just baseline functionality of our body. Sure. Yeah. So when we do have like processed foods, there are some that are promoted like as health foods. And a lot of time they have these isolated compounds, like isolated proteins, like your protein bar, or isolated nutrients or antioxidants. And we know that when we go closer to the whole food, what happens is when you combine all these vitamins and compounds together, they actually work synergistically and work better in the body. Mm -hmm. So even if you're eating a processed health food, as close as you can get, to a real whole food, you're gonna get these compounds that actually work synergistically and have an added benefit when you eat them together. Oh. And there's a ton of compounds in foods that we don't even, haven't even been able to research yet. Kind of like the ocean, how it's like <laughs> a whole nother thing that we haven't even touched yet, or our microbiome, or the universe. There's compounds in foods that we haven't even discovered yet, and we don't fully understand how they work together, but we know that they are working together versus processed, isolated, compounds that some may not even be safe and good for our bodies and when it comes to organic organic just means that it hasn't been sprayed with pesticides or used chemicals um, I know some people are a little concerned about the term organic and what does that really mean um, but it has been shown in research that when women would eat conventional produce that have pesticides versus organic they find in the umbilical cords and in breast milk high amounts of these pesticides. Hmm. So we do see that these sprays are coming in through the body and being passed along to babies and um, we know that that toxicity is an issue. So, But there are better when you're trying to navigate. Like, so what does that mean? Do I eat everything organic? Can I do that? It's more expensive pick and choose. Mm -hmm. So the ones that have like a peel where you take the peel off, it's going to have less of that spray. So like something like a banana or an avocado or a watermelon might not be as important because you're taking that outside layer where something like delicate berries or apples and peaches, um, that's going to be more important to go organic. Mm. And one of the best resources that you can use is the ewg.org. That's the Environmental Working Group, and they put out a list every year. Uh, it's called the Dirty Dozen List, the top 12 foods that you really want to make sure you're eating organic because they're heavily sprayed with pesticides. Hmm. And you can search different processed foods, cleaning products. You can compare water filters. It's the Environmental Working Group, and it's just an amazing database that assesses how um, toxic or non-toxic a food or a product is. So I love that resource. That's such, yeah, that's such a good tip. So mm -hmm. ewg.org yep. if you want to gain some clarity on that. And then again, just such a good tip of if it has a skin, I mean, that makes so much sense. It's so practical. If it has a skin yeah. and you spray pesticides on it, it's likely going to be more protected than something that you consume directly. I mean, something, you know, and that's the kind of thing that you just need to think about to actually start making that decision. You know, so that's something I'm going to really think about moving forward. And, and this might be yeah. a bit of a tangent, but when you're talking about the processed food side and kind of, it's interesting that you said that this, the research might not have caught up yet to some of the, the, the detriment, I guess, to processed foods and the, the harm that it can do to our bodies. Mm -hmm. And I actually learned yesterday from my buddy that 
the reason that vaping is so bad, um, or at least has recently been discovered as bad, is because the compound that dissolves the THC is lipid-based. So what happens when you inhale that, that lipid is just fat, and lipid is actually um, growing or kind of attaching to the yeah. alveoli of your lungs, and that's wow. the issue. You know, So it's like, that's kind of what it could be with processed foods, too, is you don't know exactly what these compounds are going to do. You just know that you're putting them in your body, you're mm -hmm. ingesting them. And it's almost a longevity study to kind of see when the truth comes out. So It is interesting because a lot of people think that when they're, oh, well, I'll just, it's okay if this is a chemical or it's a toxin and it's not a big deal. But what's interesting is that when we eat these toxic chemicals, they're actually lipophilic. So they're attracted mm. to fat. And so they actually get stored in our fat. Wow. So then when you start getting motivated again and you're losing weight and you're breaking down weight, you're actually releasing toxins into your body. So it is something to consider that we think like, oh, you know, no big deal. And you don't want to become obsessive over it, but be smart. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can go organic, go organic. If you can go with real food, it's a better choice. If you're looking at a processed protein bar or fruit and nuts, you know, go for the real thing if you can, because you're going to get a lot less additives. And Yeah. And when those product. toxins do kind of decompose or at least come to mm -hmm. life, I guess, in your body like how does that affect you is it just a change in mood is it changing your physiology kind of like what does that present as because that well, sounds dangerous well what's really <laughs> interesting is it depends a lot on your liver health and your gut hmm. so if you have a lot of nutrients on board and you are starting to break down fat and you're releasing toxins you have a few different phases in your liver that require a ton of nutrients so that's something where some people go wrong when they're intermittent fasting they have a really bad foundational diet but then they think that they can intermittent fast to lose weight. Hmm. So they start losing weight, but then they don't have all those vitamins from a healthy diet to get toxins out. Hmm. The other thing is part of having a good healthy digestive tract. So some people who are really excited about losing weight, but their digestion isn't right, and maybe they're constipated, and then these toxins are being released, well, where are they gonna go if they're not leaving your body? They actually get reabsorbed. Yikes. When they get reabsorbed, <laughs> What is your body going to do with them? If it has nowhere to go, your body is much more likely to store fat again to put those toxins away because that's mm -hmm. where they get stored. So a lot of people notice that when they start losing weight or breaking down fat, they have this rebound effect of where they gain weight again because they weren't able to get the toxins out of their body. Wow. So then the body is more likely to store fat again to do something with those toxins. Yeah, so it sounds like kind of choosing to eat healthier and minimize those toxins is just the foundation you need if you're kind of on this weight loss journey because there's totally. this normal natural cycle your body has to mm -hmm. just reincorporate that fat. Yeah. Wow. A foundational diet, like a good, healthy, at least foundational diet, I would say is so important before you're just like, ah, calories in, calories out. I'll just eat a bunch of junk food, but <laughs> it's low calorie. You know, it's right. not doing yourself any favor. It's, it's going to be a lot harder mm -hmm. and you won't feel as good along the way. Awesome. Yeah, I'd like to jump into a couple nutrition tips as well because I know, so we kind of mentioned the, you know, five colors on your plate mm -hmm. and you know, I guess now we're this organic versus processed food, you know, that's another kind of rule of thumb. But what are some other nutritional rules of thumb that, you know, just kind of in general, we can rely on to be like, okay, this is probably the better decision um, when it comes to filling our plate? Well, filling your plate, I always say a, a good rule of thumb is aim to make half of that meal vegetables. Okay. Half of it. You know, the rest, I think that that's where we tend to cheat our plate is that we fill it up with a ton of protein or a lot of carbs. It's really easy to have like a bowl full of rice with a little bit of vegetable and a protein or something. So if you can just make the majority of that plate vegetables, you're going to be doing pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, like that's a really great rule of thumb. Cool. Adding in the color, the real foods, it's a great way to go and just trying to get a lot of variety. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, and then another issue, so, okay, now, so it's kind of like, these are rules of thumb. This is what we put in our body, but a lot of people just flat out have an issue with their intake and it's the psychology behind food and, and just not being able to control how much mm -hmm. they eat. And you've probably come across that before, you know, kind of, and this is again, going kind of the first concept of like, what lifestyle do you want to have? Like, what is your relationship with food? And I think mm -hmm. that's probably a, a complex dance between you know, what your mind is telling you and what our body's telling us. You know, we've actually featured that tip already on the yeah. podcast before. But if there's someone that is struggling with overeating and they, they can't control the amount that they're, they're intaking, you know, kind of what's the best way to just kind of cut that out or 
kind of start, you know, processing them into a you know, more stable diet. I love this because it is so overlooked. And this is probably like the number one reason why people quit their diet. And so this is like the foundational approach that I take so that whatever style of eating you want to follow, you stick to. Okay. Okay. Because a lot of people will end up no matter what, they'll just impulsively maybe overeat or they get busy and they're just grabbing something. We make a lot of mistakes with our eating. You know, I say mistakes, they're really more learning lessons, mm -hmm. but we make a lot of mistakes out of impulse. So when the people that I work with are struggling because they're overeating or they're making an impulse decision, we really step back and look at it as research. Hmm. So we all have our things, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you're like, oops, I went out to a party and everyone else was having something, so I ate something. Or I was so like stressed that I just was in this survival mode and I just grabbed something really quick. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, whatever the reason is, we all have our things why we're like, oh darn, that wasn't the best decision. So taking the emotion and the guilt out of it and just looking at it is research mm -hmm. and saying, okay, what is my thing? What do I do? So I meet with a group once a week and we all kind of almost like mastermind over it. <laughs> that we talk about, you know, we make it into a fun thing. like. All right, what happened? Let's backtrack here. Let's learn from it. We use it as research and we really use it as a way to slow down and pause mm -hmm. so that we're creating more space from like, what am I doing? Why am I sabotaging right now? And instead of going into that like impulsive, I'm going to grab my old foods, it's just habit. Mm -hmm. So if you've had the same habits since maybe 20 years, 30 years, you've been doing the same thing, eating the same way. Let's say you've been eating really fast until your plate is gone. That one is super common. Mm -hmm. And everybody feels like they're the only one. They're like, oh yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. I eat really fast and I can't stop until my food is gone. Well, let's say maybe when you were four years old, your mom was like, Brian, do not leave the table until that plate is empty. It's a problem. Yeah, so we were trained as little, most of us were trained as little kids to not say, hmm, am I hungry, am I not hungry? No, instead we're, our brains became wired to eat, 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 eat until it's gone. Hmm. And of course, if we have this pressure that we're not allowed to leave where we're sitting until it's gone, you're gonna eat fast and you're gonna eat all of it. Yeah. You're forced to. So maybe you've been doing the same thing for 30 years, so it takes time and it takes patience and it takes awareness of like, what am I doing? And really slowing down and practicing it. So like one technique that I use with the group, it's called anchoring. Where what we do is we, it's like visualization, but the next level, it's like next level of visualization. Where we really close our eyes, get into our bodies, and we visualize a habit that we have that we don't like. Hmm. Maybe it's that you eat really fast until your plate is gone. So you sit there and you visualize that habit that you have. And there's some discomfort in that. Mm -hmm. Some people are like, ooh, I don't like to visualize what I don't like about myself. But that's a gift to yourself. <laughs> You're giving yourself the gift of seeing what you don't like so that you have the ability to change it. Right. So that we don't keep repeating it. So we visualize what it is that we don't like and then we rewind it like a movie. We backtrack and we make it really real. Mm. So then we visualize ourselves approaching what's the setup where might be a trigger? Is it a person? Is it an emotion? Is it stress? Because usually our habits are just a repetition of something that happens every day or keeps happening every week. So we visualize what's the setup, starting to feel it, and then visualizing ourselves making a new decision, something different. That's such a powerful exercise. I mean, that's I come from back on of sports and sports psychology is yes. like you literally do your mental reps and when I was injured that's something that helped me get back on the field was I didn't I didn't miss a step because I was doing you call it meditation you call it visualization totally. whatever you want but that I mean your mind is so powerful in the way you can kind of control those impulses. Yeah, it's like we're creating new memories. Mm. We're convincing the brain that this new habit already happened so that you're more prepared. It's like practice for game day. Well, that's it, true because yeah. like when, when you recall something, I mean, I think the neuroscience of it is when you recall something, then it encodes again as you last remembered it. So it's yes. literally creating new memories. Oh yeah, when I started having people do this, the success of their behavior change has just gone through the roof versus like, did you follow your diet? And they're like, 
no, or <laughs> yes, I did this week, but I did bad because of this, and then this came up, and then this in life, and then I got stressed, and then I forgot, where now they're a little bit more prepared for the, those that moment to come up, mm-hmm. and I have them take some deep breaths, and that brings that stress hormone cortisol down. Breathing is one of the most powerful tools you can use to change your diet. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, really, if you take three deep breaths, research shows that three deep breaths lowers that stress hormone cortisol. Mm -hmm. When you do that, you start using that rational brain instead of your fight or flight brain that's impulsive, there's cravings, it's fast. Hmm. You're eating quick. You're in survival mode. You think of like a tiger that's just like very animalistic. Where when you breathe and you bring that stress hormone down, you're be- you have more willpower, you have better executive decision making, you're calm, you're relaxed, your digestion is working. <laughs> so it's amazing how using your breath, three deep breaths, can be the best thing to change your diet. Yeah, and you've already held me accountable because I remember you told me that before and <laughs> I was sitting eating a breakfast burrito and I ate half of it. And then I took three, I wanted to have the second half and I took three deep breaths. I was like, no, I don't need to eat anymore. And I texted I you. I love when you like, shared me, shared like, with me You that did way. it again, Gina. <laughs> uh, I do want to rewind a little bit because we overlooked something that I wanted, like, mm. I wanted to bring back, which was accepting when you make mistakes. Like even in your diet, like you kind of, you phrase it as it's an experiment and it's something, it's, it's, it's research. It's something that you are going to learn from and kind of take a lesson from. And I think the second that in anything in life, and it includes your diet, is when you have this negative experience, instead of getting really hard on yourself, Mm -hmm. like sure, you want a level of accountability, but instead of like really punishing yourself for making that mistake, all you can do is move forward and take that new information. So I I thought that was a really interesting point to kind of pull out of this, you know, because I mean, diet, I mean, the reason we're talking about this on self-improvement daily, and it's a personal development topic is because... It's part of life. Like all of this is just part of life. And I I think that's just a point that we can all apply to life. Well, this is a key, an actual really, really important part of the program that I run because failure is actually a very important tool. I, I say failure, but if you are not failing, that means you're probably not stepping out of your comfort zone. Yes. And we're, when we're trying to make a change, you're expected to go out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and you will never be perfect. So where in the past when I was seeing clients and they were failing, they'd try something new, they'd expect they'd be perfect. And then when they would have a failure or a mistake, they'd feel bad, they'd bash themselves. And then they're like, this is who I am. I'm never going to do it. And it was a cycle that would repeat themselves. And then they'd reach for what's comfortable, which are the prior habits. And then they, that takes steps backward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now we really reframe it. And failures are actually really welcomed because failure is your most powerful teacher. Hmm. So I tell them their failure is so much more of a teacher than me being their teacher. (laughs) You know, I just try to bring it out of them. And point it out when it's there. Yeah, yeah, it's such a powerful tool. There's so much wisdom in it. So if we are embarrassed about our failures or our mistakes, we suppress them, we keep them down, we feel guilty and ashamed and they happen again. Mm -hmm. But if we see them as like a, oh man, I messed up, but where's the wisdom in this and how can I prepare myself next time? There's actually a lot of power in that. It's very empowering. And so the people I work with have gotten very comfortable that were like, all right, Who's got some things we're going to talk about (laughs) and how can we all figure out the solution? How are we going to prepare for it? And it's okay. Like it's expected. So if you're not having some failures, you might not be pushing out of your comfort zone enough. Let's get real comfortable with it and learn. (laughs) And you know that that's where the growth comes. You take one step back, learn from it, three steps forward. Mm -hmm. One step back, whoops, I slipped up, three steps forward. That's what I love about your practice is it's, I mean, you're the author of Mastering Mindfulness, you know, like this is so much more than just dietary advice, nutrition advice, like it really is part of your life and it's a lifestyle. And that's, I think it's that kind of approach that's going to bring results because it needs to incorporate into the rest of, you know, your operation as a person, everything that's going on. So, I mean, that's, that's your bread and butter right there. It is. I mean, really your, your health is that relationship between you and your body. The better you understand it, the better you listen to it, can love on it, nurture it when it needs something, your diet, your eating is going to be so much easier. Mm -hmm. You know, when you can really tune in and listen, what do I really need right now? Like, do I need to just take a nap and take care of myself? Do I need to find a better outlet to work out my stress? 
do I need to take some deep breaths and slow down? So mastering mindfulness is just getting to know and listen to your body a little bit better. And naturally the diet tends to transform that way versus here's your nutrition program, now go follow it. But your habits are still the same, your stress is still the same, you're still overeating. Right, no, I'm glad that we spent the time to provide that baseline layer of yes, I mean this is something that you need to have at foundation level and then you can grow upon some of these tactics and these rules of thumb and kind of the other areas that you're sharing about that are specific to nutrition and diet. Yeah. And I want to get back into that because I am just super selfishly going to hijack this because <laughs> I want to know, um, what do you think about supplements? Mm, really good question. Actually, um, supplements I think can be very therapeutic when used right. I think because of all of the hype and the marketing, they're used a lot of the time in the wrong way. So I'll give you an example. Um, I recently talked with somebody who said, I put all of my clients on an omega-3, a fish oil, because omega-3s are so good for you. Sure, omega-3s are good for you. Fish oil is good for you. But how do you know that your body needs omega-3s? So I think that it can be really therapeutic to be able to support different health issues when used right. But again, it kind of comes back to the diet. Mm -hmm. We're all very unique. We're all different. We have different nutrient levels. We have different genetics. Your genetics can determine how much of a vitamin you're able to absorb or convert to a proper form. Uh, your diet plays a huge role. Your exposure where you might have inflammation plays a huge role. So for example, omega-3s, Somebody who has a diet that's really rich in good omega-3s like salmon and sardines. If you're eating salmon or sardines two to three times a week, you probably have a pretty good omega-3 <laughs> status. You probably don't, I've tested my omega-3s and because I, I just love salmon and sardines, I could eat them at least two to three times <laughs> a week, my omega-3 status is pretty good. So for somebody to say, you need omega-3s because fish oil is good, everyone should take it, that's absurd. But somebody who's like, I don't eat fish and I eat a lot of omega-6, so my omega-6 and omega-3 balance is off, they might be a good candidate. Or somebody who needs that support for inflammation or maybe their cardiovascular markers are off and that omega-3 could really support um, helping their cardiovascular markers. Or now we're seeing um, omega-3s being used to help with depression. Hmm. So I think with used for the right thing, um, and I'm all about data. Some people are, depending on what level of lab testing you get, some may be covered by insurance, some might not. Um, but as much as you can, go and collect data. Make yourself your own research project and see, get help. You know, get help when people say like, well, how do I know then? Mm -hmm. How do I know what vitamins my body needs? I'm just guessing because how else am I supposed to know? What do I do? Yeah. And that's where you get help with somebody who does know. I don't go change my oil because I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I need to change my oil, so I'm just going to guess. No, I'm <laughs> going to have somebody who knows who can help give me guidance. Right. Um, I know for me, like my body functions so much better when I take digestive enzymes. Does that mean everyone should take digestive enzymes? No, that some people might digest their food perfectly fine. I can tell that I don't. Hmm. So it's really person to person. I think that they can be used therapeutically for a lot, very well um, to help bring up some levels of deficiencies or just support different health issues. Um, but it should be a moving target. What it, what's your intention for the supplement? Are you seeing some changes? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's in your labs. Maybe it's physically. Maybe it's emotionally. Um, what are you trying to get out of that supplement versus just, I heard this one's good. Should everybody take it? Right. So it sounds like the next action step for someone that's trying to gain a little more clarity on what supplement is correct is, is a lab test. Like, is it just as easy as walking up and say, hey, test my nutrition levels? Like, like I, I, this is foreign to me. Like, what is that, mm. that ask? Like, what is that step? It kind of depends on what you're interested in because there are some things that like, let's say somebody is very fatigued and they want to check their iron levels. You know, you can easily get an iron and, and your storage form of iron ferritin on a lab panel that your doctor could run for you. Very easy, simple, and you can do an easy check. There are some um, more functional lab tests that are not 
by a doctor. Someone's it like we run in my practice where you're actually testing vitamin levels. Okay. So that's a little bit more unconventional. Um, There's not like some baseline test. You're like, hey, here's my prescription for this or whatever. You know, it's it's more complicated than that. It just depends on what you're interested in. Okay. You know, um, some people go as far as doing saliva testing to see their stress hormone and know do I need to take a supplement that supports my stress hormone. Some people do a stool test because they want to see what their microbiome makeup is. But these are all, these are not traditional tests, but it is interesting. But there are a lot of things that you can do to better assess like, might it be something that would benefit me? Mm -hmm. So for me, I noticed that when I take digestive enzymes, my nails are significantly stronger hmm. and I don't get ridges. So I know that I'm digesting my nutrients a lot better. So I'm actually unlocking more of the nutrition in my food a lot better because I just notice a difference in my nails are just stronger, they're healthier. So to me, that's a clue. Like I use my nails a lot to monitor changes. Interesting. Yeah, when you get, if you ever get like little white specks on your nails, that's a sign of zinc deficiency. Hmm. I notice, so I think that my body, even if I eat zinc rich foods, it's just not enough. So when I supplement with zinc, those little white specks go away. And you might think like, well, okay, so a white speck has gone off your nails. But zinc is really important for our, our hormone balance, our hmm. thyroid, it makes up so many things in our bodies, our immune system. So there's some clues that you can get. When you make a change, you know, do an assessment for yourself. Like, what changes? Does your energy change, your digestion change, your skin, you know, your skin change, your hair, your nails, watch all of those things. And if you're like a data-driven person and you want labs, um, that I'm all for that because <laughs> I just I love having as much data right. as you can on yourself. I mean, what else is more important? But there's a lot of different ways to assess. Like, is this good for me? Is this not? Or ask questions. Somebody that you really trust. Yeah. Ask an expert who who you really trust for advice on would this be a good fit for me mm -hmm. based on my issues. Something like. Um, taking curcumin for example from turmeric is very well studied so that's one supplement that i feel really good about recommending when it's a good quality supplement mm -hmm. um because it's very well studied for its anti-inflammatory and a lot of benefits um so for somebody who maybe has inflammation or an injury i feel very comfortable recommending something like that versus some of the newer supplements that haven't been well studied or maybe they expose a cell in a petri dish to this isolated compound and they watch it change and then they call that a study yeah. but it hasn't really been well researched and so i really like to look at the data and see does you know does brian need it does your body need it why do you want to take it and supplements can be a great way to fill in the missing pieces cool from yeah. your diet i i guess i've been doing it kind of at some level because I notice I mean maybe it's related but I notice that I get hangnails when I'm starting to get sick you know that's kind of like my tell as I say I get hangnails and that's that's like the only thing that I've really noticed physiologically or anatomically mm -hmm. change about me when something's starting to be off but now I mean that helps to you know if there are little white spots on your nails then that's a zinc deficiency there's so many different physical assessments that you can do that's actually pretty cool like um, so you can see if you're getting white specks, that's a sign of a zinc deficiency. If you get ridges in your nails, it's kind of the up and down ridges, which I used to get before digestive enzymes. That could be a sign of like a protein deficiency where you're not digesting your protein very well. Um, if let's say you take the skin on the top of your hand and you pull it up and you let go of it. If it snaps back pretty good, that's a sign that you're pretty well hydrated. Hmm. If it's kind of slow to sink back in, that's a sign of dehydration. Um, a lot of people use their tongue to see do they have any signs of like bacterial overgrowth or candida. Hmm. Um, premature graying hairs can be a sign of some oxidative stress that your body might need some antioxidant support. So um, one of my favorite nutrition tips is one Brazil nut a day has about 100% of your daily value of selenium. <laughs> selenium makes more antioxidants. It helps regenerate more antioxidants hmm. in your body and can not only prevent graying hairs, but can actually reverse graying hairs. What a tip. <laughs> I know. It's so cool. So I, there are genetics that play a role with graying hairs, so I don't want to oversimplify it. Sure. But that can be the Institute of Functional Medicine says that 
premature graying hairs can be one assessment of oxidative stress where your body might need some antioxidant support. Yeah. Does that and make sense? Yeah, and it okay. helps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is that, yeah, it's there are so many factors that contribute to all of these studies and results and everything. But yeah. if it contributes and it helps, then it's something that could be you know, a fix for you. Yeah, so, I think it just should be really personalized. And if you need help with that personalization, find somebody that you trust and always go with a quality supplement. There's a huge difference in quality from your generic grocery store or okay. store supplement versus more of a therapeutic grade that's a company that specializes in really studying it, manufacturing it, and they have data to back it up. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. Just to, again, kind of between the processed food and organic, like know the quality of what you're yeah. consuming. That's awesome. Huge difference. So, okay. And then I want to back up because you also mentioned hydration. And as an athlete, that's something I'm very interested in. And there, I've heard so many different philosophies, mm -hmm. but just kind of generally what's a good um, a good gauge of how hydrated you should be and how how seriously you should take kind of in taking water throughout the day yeah so if you are thirsty you're already putting a strain on your heart hmm. so with dehydration it, it's harder to keep those blood levels up it keeps our blood flowing so if you're thirsty just know that you're already putting a strain on your heart to work harder to keep that blood volume up um, another so some people use the tip of taking your body weight and divide it in half that's how many ounces a day you should drink. It's pretty general. Um, that's a very general recommendation. But if you want like a number of ounces to go for, it gives you kind of a target. I think the best way you can assess how well you're hydrated is looking at your own pee. Mm -hmm. It's really just the easiest, best assessment tool of like, are you staying hydrated? If it's pretty dark, you're not doing very good. Right. If it's on the lighter side, okay, you're doing pretty good. And then what are some of the concerns if you're not hydrated enough? Like you said, you know, water's in your blood and obviously blood's important, we know that, yeah. but kind of what other consequences are there for not being hydrated? Yeah, I mean, you do need water to break down fats and use them for energy, so it, uh, it definitely slows down the metabolism. And energy, we do, I think being dehydrated is the number one cause of feeling fatigued. Huh. So some people feel this midday fatigue and there are a lot of different factors that can contribute to that, but start with water because if your blood volume is low and you're fatigued, it's gonna be really tough to fix that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I realize that I don't drink enough water and I have been feeling fatigued lately. It's funny that you mentioned curcumin or curcumin, mm -hmm, however you pronounce mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, that's the one supplement I take is mm -hmm. curcumin and I drink water with it. And that's like the only time I drink water throughout the day. And I keep oh! telling myself, like, I just, I'm not in the habit. Like if it's for whatever reason, my supplement changes the color and the psychology of it being, oh, it must have taste. If it has a different color, then I'm, it's much easier for me to like actually reach for it and drink it. I don't yeah. know why that is, but um, well, that's... all these reactions in your body need water, and so much of your body's made up of water. So you're gonna be missing out on a lot if you're not hydrated or if you feel that fatigue. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, one. I'll start tomorrow. Thank all you. right. <laughs> okay. And then another question, and this came from my roommate who was interested. Okay. What's the value of meat in a diet, and can you supplement that? with you know, other foods effectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a few different things on that. So that comes back to knowing yourself and a couple different things you can do. What's interesting is there's a lot of different factors that play a role in whether or not your body does well with a vegetarian or a meat-based diet. So one factor they look at is genetics. Some people genetically do better with like a plant-based diet and some people genetically do better with a meat, more carnivore-based diet. And so, I guess the only way you would really know is just to monitor for your body how well you do with it with that. Mm -hmm. Another thing is if you're equally approaching it in a healthy way. We know vegetarian can be done very unhealthy or very healthy. Same thing with a diet that has meat in it can be done in a healthy way or a very unhealthy way. How it's prepared, is it processed, fresh. But let's assume that both of them are a healthy style of eating. So someone who might want to do vegetarian would be somebody who maybe they need a lot more plants, they need a lot more fiber, um, somebody who digestive wise does better, maybe they don't digest meat very well and they do much better digesting plants and fibers and it keeps their digestive tract right on track um, and they really feel like they're thriving from it, they don't have issues with beans and lentils and um, common sensitivities are things like soy, 
Um, some people get aggravated from things like beans and lentils, but not everybody. So if you feel like you are doing a plant-based diet where you can eat these this variety of proteins like beans, lentils, soy, um, that might aggravate other people, but you do well with it, you might really thrive on a vegetarian hmm. or vegan diet. Okay. Some people just don't. Okay. They just don't thrive on that diet. And so the same thing with meat, where somebody might need that extra iron because just maybe genetically or the way that their body is made up, they don't absorb iron very well and they need that good absorption of iron and their energy comes up and they feel better, they digest meat really well, they have good energy throughout the day where some people don't digest meat very well and they, it sits in their stomach like a rock and it, they, don't, they don't feel very good from it. Same thing with like a high fat diet. Somebody who does a high fat diet um, one person who has high blood sugar and insulin resistance might do great on a high-fat diet metabolically, where somebody who doesn't do well with digesting fats and they have digestive issues from all that fat would not do so well from it. Sure. So, so it sounds like it comes down to just kind of what is your body made up of and kind totally. of like what can it process, what does it prefer, and you know, there's... I, I like, I mean, I'm trying to get like definitive answers out of you and you keep on oh, deflecting. I'm sorry. No, no, it's good because that's, no, that's exactly the nature of it is that there is no, you know, cut and dry answer. Like it is, there is a lot of variability to it. And I want to touch on, cause probably the nature of this variability comes from something that deserves an entire interview probably in itself and a full conversation, mm -hmm. but we'll just touch on it quickly is your microbiome mm -hmm. and uh, the, I know, I'm sorry that I have to restrict <laughs> you, but your microbiome and how it, you know, it's labeled as your second brain and sometimes oh, yeah. more powerful as your first brain because of, and this is where you can nerd out about all of the neurotransmitters and, you totally. know, the endocrine system and how that's all tied into it. But I guess, what's the quick version of gut health and your microbiome mm. and how you can make sure that you are satisfying uh, yeah. the needs that your unique microbiome has? Yeah, this is really, this is tough for me to sum up shortly because <laughs> I love this topic. The microbiome is a whole nother universe that we're learning a lot about. Um, so yeah, the, your microbiome is a whole nother ecosystem that regulates inflammation, it regulates a lot, your immune system, that is your immune system. Collectively, all those bacteria weigh more than your brain. Hmm. So we think of them as insignificant, I can't see them, Collectively, they weigh more than your brain. And every time you eat fiber, they use that fiber as fuel. And they ferment on that fiber and create what's called a short-chain fatty acid. When that short-chain fatty acid is made, it travels through your bloodstream, it goes up to your brain, and then it signals to your brain what to communicate to the rest of your body. Wow. So that is why originally they're saying, should we consider it a second brain? It's doing a lot of things, it's making neurotransmitters. Now scientists are starting to argue, should we call it a first brain? Because the microbiome is making messages that are telling the brain what to communicate to the rest of the body. Mm -hmm. So when I say, oh, it's really important to eat your vegetables, make half your plate vegetables. Those vegetables is where you're getting the fiber to feed the gut bacteria, to create the messages that we need to make all sorts of things, that, wow. to make our body work. So it's really like the master controller. So right now, probiotics are really hot. Everybody's like, what's the best probiotic to take? What strains? But what is more in, what's interesting is now the science is coming out that the prebiotic or the fiber is more important than the bacteria, the probiotic because that's what feeds the bacteria to make these messages. Hmm. So you could think of like the bacteria, the probiotics, as like your little pets in your digestive tract, <laughs> and the fiber or the plants that you eat, we don't do anything with fiber. Fiber just goes in us and it goes out of us. Yeah. We don't get nutrients from it. So when you eat fiber from plants, that is like the food to feed your little pets. If you're not ever eating fiber or this food for your pets, you're gonna lose a lot of those bacteria. They're gonna be dying off a lot faster versus creating a good healthy ecosystem where they're sending these good messages or keeping your gut healthy. So fiber is actually like number one for gut health. Wow. And if you're getting a lot of bloating from eating fiber and you're like, oh, I can't tolerate eating fiber because I get bloating, that might mean that there's an imbalance going on there. You have too many bacteria that are all fermenting on all of these fibers oh, wow. that needs to get situated. Huh. I mean, what it kind of sounds like is that 
you eat something, it then influences your microbiome, which then communicates to your brain. So it almost like your microbiome and your gut is like part of this very, very important process of your just neural kind of, I don't know, processing that you're just going through your day. I mean, yeah, that's something that I have been, I have been neglecting to learn more about because I feel like it's too complicated and that would just be a long endeavor, but it's something that I think has earned its right in kind of being learned because it's it's not something that we can learn and then say we've mastered it I've learned and I've done it because the information is changing the science is changing and for anyone to say that it's simplified um, it is it's completely incorrect because there's just it's a whole nother universe that we're just skimming the surface on and learning more about so like using different strains of probiotics for different Mm -hmm. therapeutic things we're learning we're gaining good knowledge from it but we still don't really know Um, but it is cool to see the research come out to see things like probiotics being used for depression, anxiety, because these bacteria can make more neurotransmitters than what are found in our brain. Mm. So it is very fascinating. They can control our appetite. They can control the calories that we harvest out of our food. If you have a bad balance of bacteria, let's say you have an overgrowth of yeast. Yeast live off of sugar and that yeast is going to want to dominate in your gut. So it's going to send messages to your brain that says, eat more sugar, eat more sugar, because I want to live, I want to live. So now we're using good probiotics to help control cravings and how we actually manage our weight. Wow. This has been a super good lesson. (laughs) I have just so many different things I want to incorporate and start testing and just like, I, these are things I don't even know to look for, you know? So, and that's kind of the beauty of working with an expert, understanding the different signals that your body's telling you and how you can then translate them into real results. So mm-hmm. I guess, Gina, first, how can people learn more about your work and what you're doing and get involved in taking the next step with their health through you? Sure. Um, so I, I am on all, on the social medias, the Instagram. I'm Gina underscore B underscore dietitian. And on Facebook as well, Gina B. Um, nutrition, and I run a Mastering Mindfulness Institute that helps people get control over their cravings and their self-sabotaging, which is a big foundational piece. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm on those platforms, and I love talking about the nutrition, the, the mindful eating, the behavior change, all of it. Yep, more of the same of what we did. All right, so if we could oversimplify the conversation mm-hmm. and pull one takeaway, if there's one thing that you wanted people to really extract from this conversation mm. that's fundamental to, let's say, starting the diet that is right for someone, what would you focus on? I think your health is the relationship between you and your body. Hmm. Whether it's how you're eating, what you're eating, it's, it's just a journey of getting to know yourself better and deeper on a deeper level. So taking that that space to get to know yourself, slowing down, reconnecting with your body, is probably the best thing you could do for your health. Best thing you could do is mastering mindfulness. <laughs> Master mindfulness. <laughs> Gina, it, it's a journey. It's never ending. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the truth. Thank you so much. You rocked it. Oh, thanks, Brian. That was awesome. I knew what you ate was important, but there's so much more to it than that. We talked about how our eating tendencies are just habits that respond to the same triggers and environmental cues just like any other habit. We learned about the misconceptions in the word diet and that we should pursue an eating style that suits us. We talked about supplements, different ways to quickly check where we might be deficient, as well as formal tests to identify what your body needs. And we talked about the microbiome and the influence it has on our brain and in turn our decision making, behavior, and psychology. Gina is awesome. You can learn much more about her and from her on her website, www.gina-b.com or her Instagram at Gina underscore B underscore dietitian. She also just started a podcast of her own. That's definitely worth checking out. It's called Mastering Mindfulness and she recently interviewed me on it. Would love for you to hear that. I appreciate you stopping by today and I hope you learned something new. Thank you as always for taking the time to listen and I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.